When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Mark. And today's guest makes me appreciate the evolution of sound. I'm joined by Shane Harrington, the founder, guitarist, and self-described dictator of the band Cinemartyr. And this is actually take two of the podcast. Shane and I were deep into a great conversation before I realized I was having a technical issue. So we started over. Shane hails from New York City via Limerick, Ireland, a.k.a. Stab City. There really wasn't a whole lot going on in Stab City outside of Shane's father's traditional Irish band, Irish Rambling House. So when Fugazi came to town, it was big news. And after that show, everyone who was there started a band, including Shane. But there really weren't many places to play rock music in Limerick, so Shane traveled a lot. But a trip to New York City proved his life changing as the Fugazi show. It was also one of the craziest stories I've ever heard. It involves visa fraud and the FBI. And when Shane made the move to New York City, his band OST, original soundtrack, came with him. Which was easy, since it was basically just him. But streaming issues surrounding the band's name, placing the music in the soundtrack genre, forced Shane to rechristen the band Cinemartyr. But that's not the only change. The band seems to change its sound with almost every album. Listening to the discography in order is a journey of transformation. And in my humble opinion, it seems to be the reverse of most bands. Instead of mellowing out as the band gets older, Cinemartyr seems to be getting more aggressive. And the latest album, Opt Out, is the most aggressive yet. So check out the album on Bandcamp and give them a follow at cine.martyr on Instagram. Give us a follow at performanceanx. Grab some merch at performanceanx.threadless.com. Float us some coffee at ko-fi.com slash performanceanxiety. And I hope you're prepared for a roller coaster of a ride with Shane Harrington of Cinemartyr on this episode of Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Beautiful. <laughs> All right, yeah, this is... Uh, okay, I'll uh, start again. This is Shane Harrington from Cinemartyr. Uh, you are listening to Performance Anxiety Podcast, and uh, um, we're going on tour this summer, and we'd love to see you out there. How was that? Did I miss anything? Oh, dang. <laughs> you can put distortion on the entire track and some delay. Just It, it, it can be a musical collaboration between the two of us. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> All right, yeah, this is... Uh, okay, I'll uh, start again. This is Shane Harrington from Cinemartyr. Uh, you are listening to Performance Anxiety Podcast. And uh, um, we're going on tour this summer. We're awake now.
Well, that's good. <laughs> and, you know, we're kind of a little more comfortable and all right. stuff. So I'm, I'm watching it like a hawk right now, and it's, it's rolling. Because I, I pulled up and it showed 15 seconds. And I'm like, what are you, what the, f-? so, uh, so I'm sorry about that. That's, I, oh, I have all, no idea what happened. So it's all good. It's all good. Um, so, okay. So, uh, take two. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, to let everybody in on the joke, what, uh, what happened was uh, Shane and I recorded for 30 minutes and uh, before realizing that my software had crashed and I had about 15 seconds worth of material recorded. So we are, <laughs> we are going with part two. This is how I take two, edit two, remix. I don't know. You know, this is what happens when you try and make things. It does. Especially, you know, especially on your own, one man band, not being uh, an engineer or a software yeah. technician. Uh, you don't. You don't. You don't get the big uh, Apple Apple Podcasts production crew who are running around getting you coffee and checking the wires. But what? What? It, it is a testament to the conversation we were having, though, because I I was enjoying it so much I wasn't going back and, and checking time on the oh, on the software. So I was enjoying it so much that I I, I should have been paying been a little more diligent on the how the software was working and. Uh, <laughs> realizing it had crashed <laughs> so so we will we will uh start over and uh you know what second take was the demo this is this is the real thing cool cool all right so we will start off finding out a little bit more about where you came from like every just about every other episode i do you were born in limerick ireland in an area known as Stab City, which sounds absolutely terrifying. Yeah, so very uh, pretty, peaceful name for a, for a town. <laughs> um, it's, it's bucolic. Yes, yes. You know, uh, uh, again, before I trash my hometown, it's not what I mean to do. Um, I do, you know, I always have to preface it with the fact that you know, there are amazing people there and the, the town has changed a lot in recent years and it's a great spot now. Uh, but growing up, that was not the case. Yeah. Step City, I guess it got that name because it, it had the highest um, murder rate in Europe for a while. It was uh, the murder capital of Europe. And uh, yeah, just not a, not a fun place to grow up. We were living in a place called South Hill, which was the number one ghetto, I guess, if that's the claim to fame you want to call it. <laughs> maybe, maybe neck and neck with one other spot. But um, oh wow, we, we, we were living between two feuding gang gangs at the time. Oh, uh, and uh, yeah, so being the house on the row between those was not not very fun. Um, is 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 a bit of a rough spot. Um, I got a. My parents divorced while we were there, and I, a few years later, when I was around twelve or thirteen, we were lucky enough to get out and uh, oh, get into some some council housing uh, in a much more peaceful neighborhood, um, like Punch Town yeah, or something. Yeah, just uh, something a little hug, less violent than Staten. Hugstown. Right? <laughs> yeah, Hugsville, Hugsville, Hugsville Ireland. Yeah, <laughs> just a, just a lot of friendly leprechauns. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Throwing their pots of gold and the clovers. Yeah, they want to give you the pots of gold. They're right. not the they're not the vindictive types in Dublin right. who want to hoard the pots of gold. They're like the Lucky Charms types of leprechauns. 
Um, this is a little aside, but you just reminded me once uh, we were earlier on, we were talking about We Come in Pieces. We were on tour, I think, in Germany once. And um, uh, these these Marines, these dudes, uh, we happened to meet some American Marines at a bar and um, uh, super nice guys, you know, but w- one of them wasn't too, uh, let's just say I'm not sure how he ended up in the military or <laughs> anything, but he was he was like a little drunk and we were talking and our drummer just was taking a piss with him and uh we managed to convince him that all the alcohol in ireland is fought over by these wars with the leprechauns <laughs> and the, the dude was just like eating it hook line and sinker oh. like first of all he didn't question leprechauns he just assumed that they were real he and that there were that. wars yeah, and he was like, oh, man, that's so tough for you guys. I can't believe you got to do that just to drink. Like, you know, he was, like, really crestfallen. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, was, I'm so glad we had to do this again because that's a, I love that. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, was, that always sticks with me. I'm like, that guy was in the military. <laughs> yeah. Like, he was probably in charge of some really serious things, you know. Oh, yeah, he's, he's the guy that has the uh, nuclear codes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to pretend to be surprised sometimes here. So, um, no, it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try. And I'm going to I'm going to try and uh, say some stuff uh, in a more original way. <laughs> okay. All right. So, yeah. this gag is going to go through the entire first half hour of this episode now. So, what got you into music in the first place? Uh, I mean, there's music in the family. If I remember our first conversation correctly. Yeah, yeah. Um, just always my. Uh, as I mentioned, my dad was. Um, he is still is really involved in traditional Irish music. He puts on a show, um, a touring show every uh, year um, called the Rambling House, the Irish Rambling House, and oh, cool. it's a. Yeah, it's like a troupe. It's like has more members than Slipknot. It has like I don't know, like twenty members, twenty four <laughs> members or something. <laughs> but but they do like uh, you know traditional Irish music and they do storytelling and all of these uh, very. Um, rural like um uh irish things i guess I, I don't know what the word is but um you know they have a thing called the brush dance where a guy literally dances with a brush he does like irish dancing that's centered around this brush that's on the floor it's something they used like back in wow. back in his back when my dad was young you know they made their own entertainment they didn't have tvs you know on the radio that you had to take the battery for the radio to town to recharge it so you could listen to your radio that kind of thing oh my god so people would get yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was like that, but, um, people would gather in, you know, a house and, um, you know, entertain themselves with, with music and stories and stuff. And that was, I think the traditional name for that was the rambling house. And that's where this oh. thing came from. Yeah. Yeah. So growing up, I think my dad really wanted me to be uh, more into the traditional Irish music, but right. um, there was, there was a bit of a struggle there and uh, that didn't happen. I was too, I was too involved in, uh, Michael Jackson first. That was like my big, <laughs> That was my big love, and then I think it moved on to Nirvana shortly after that. Oh, man, and then <laughs> yeah. eventually Fugazi. Yes, yeah, yes, uh, of course, yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out. 
because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Before you skip over this ad, give me one minute. Like most podcasts, I pick sponsors carefully and I use the products that advertise here. Pure Spectrum CBD is a product that has been really beneficial for me. They have a wide variety of great products that can be used on a daily or as needed basis. I've been using the tincture every day and it's been wonderful for easing anxiety. And I absolutely love the isolate. I use it instead of acetaminophen or ibuprofen. And it's worked so well for the relief of aches and pains. They also have soaks, lotions, salves, gummies, and more. Plus, an entire line for fitness recovery. They even have products for your pets. See everything they offer at PureSpectrumCBD.com. And if you have questions, they're there to help. They helped me when I had no idea where to start. After you fill your cart, use code PERFORMANCEANX for 15% off your purchase. PureSpectrumCBD. Pure Spectrum CBD, Pure Spectrum CBD. And uh, I, w- I was saying to you earlier that the, you know, our, like Limerick is not Dublin. It's not a, it's not a tour destination for bands by any means. It's like the third or fourth biggest city in Ireland. And uh, we were lucky enough to get, um, one day we just saw these posters around town for a band called Fugazi. And then someone told us they were American. So we were, of course, like, there's Americans in our town. We <laughs> must... We have to go because they're American. It's so exotic and crazy. We only see Americans on TV. You know, we'll hear the accents in real life. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I never thought of it that yeah. way. That's, man. Yeah, man. I mean, that's the thing. So much of the world is like the consciousness, the cultural consciousness of the world is formed by American TV. Like, you know, all our, we have Irish television programs going up, but like so much of our minds was, you know, like, oh, America, you know, uh, this was pre- America 2023, I guess. So there was a lot, uh, still a lot of, I mean, there still is a lot of people still love America, but yeah, it's a complicated subject, I guess. Yeah. But back sure. then, back then there was definitely kind of a air of mysticism and like wonder around the idea of going to America, I guess. Yeah. And, um, so we were going just out of curiosity really as, as kids that like, we saw older guys in the scene who were like, fuck the guys you're playing, you know, like everyone's going to go to that show. And we were like, wanted to be with the that crowd or whatever. And yes. uh, the, we were lo- the only reason we could really go was because it was all ages. They were a band that did all ages shows. And it was, yep. yeah, it was just, um, it was a life changing experience. Um, like we were just, you know, we came out drenched wet, wet. We had never heard music that loud in our lives. <laughs> and, um, we, we, we got the VHS t- 
tape at the merch stand, which was uh, Instrument, the Instrument documentary about their touring touring life, and um, we watched oh. it that night with tinnitus in our ears, and um, oh man, it, 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 it like changed our brain chemistry. We we all started bands the next day, like, uh, <laughs> and that just you know whether we liked it or not, that was the trajectory of our lives for the next until now. <laughs> so, were you playing? Music at that point, had you learned an instrument at that point with you, you know, your dad being a traditional Irish musician, uh, was that yeah. something that you were doing before the Fugazi show? I'm a little hazy on that. I, I think they both coincided. I think I was learning guitar around that time. Okay. Uh, my dad, my dad, um, after agreeing to finally let me do guitar instead of banjo, <laughs> he, uh, he got me, uh, some lessons with a guy out of town. And I think I had done, I did like three or four classes with that guy. And then a friend of mine showed me what a power chord was. And once I figured that out, I stopped going to lessons. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, that I was fine then. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it was around that time I started also like learning guitar, but I was always obsessed with like live performance and, um, music in general like as a kid you know you you have your like gi joe figures we mm -hmm. call them action men over in uh, ireland but um like as a kid it would always be like uh action movie oriented and it would be like we were shooting each other and there's like explosions and you gotta rescue someone and blah 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 right. but i remember as i was getting to like eight eight nine or ten the games would change. I would always, cause I would be the one that would set up what the concept of the game was, I guess, with my local neighborhood friends. And, uh, I started making them about performance. So I would like build these little mini stages and I would draw the audience and I would put that in front of the stage. And, uh, I like, I would come up with like dance moves for these characters and like they would have performance times and all this kind of stuff. So I think my mind was kind of heading in that general direction. Oh, wow. um, it was kind of like a Michael Jackson adult mind, you know, uh, <laughs> trying to drown out, trying, trying to drown out the traditional Irish music that was also being pumped into the house. But, um, so yeah, I guess I was headed that way. Wow, you yeah. just brought back a memory for me, which may or may not make the podcast. I don't know because people are more interested in then people aren't interested in my memories. Oh, but I want to hear it. <laughs> when my my I have a brother, a younger brother and a younger sister, but my it was, this is just concerns my brother. He's about two and a half years younger than than I am, and back in the in the especially in the early eighties, we. Uh, we would play with those, those green G.I. Joe men, or not G.I. Joe men, the, the green army men. And we would have all these setups, like like for Christmas, I would, we would get like the, the, the beaches of Anzio or Navarone, and it would just oh, be this cool. play set with, you put all these little green army men on, and then you would just, you know, pretend to shoot each other. And, all. Yeah. and my brother and I, we quickly evolved that into war movies and we, oh, wow. we didn't, we didn't have a camera to film it on, but what we would do is we would set everybody up all around the house and then we would put on like the Rocky three soundtrack or something. Oh, cool. And then we would be, we would be, we would choreograph what was going on in the war to the music that was coming out on the, for the soundtrack. Wow. Wow. I totally forgot about that. until that, just that now. Isn't that's so funny? That is like the creative minds, you know, at work. That's telling you that there is this kid wants to make stuff. You yeah, know? yeah. And, and my brother just published his. He's got a book. Oh, just, cool. Yeah, he just wrote a history of the mamas and the papas. Oh wow! Oh, so, that's awesome. That's yeah. so sweet. So, yeah, that's oh cool, cool. I hope that does well, man. That's I mean, there's an audience for that, so that's awesome. Yeah, yes, yeah. and it's his first book. Oh, awesome, awesome. So. 
I, now I kind of lost where we were. <laughs> what, what, one quick, one quick thing. Yeah, yeah. I, my headphones disconnected and I put them back in, and I'm just paranoid. I just want to make sure it didn't stop the software for some reason. Oh, dude, You're good. good, a good thing. Let me. I think since it's on your, yeah, we're still rolling. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I just wanted to just wanted to make sure. I'm glad you mentioned that. It, yeah. Fortunately, that's on your. I don't think that would that should affect anything on our end. Uh, cool, cool. I didn't even notice a change in the sound or anything, so it's, oh, good, it sounds good, fine. Good. So, you formed a band like the day after a Fugazi show. You you're playing for a while, but the first thing that I came across with you as a member of a recorded band is we come in pieces. Was that the first time that you, you had something that was recorded and, and released or is there something before that, that I don't know about? The, there was something before that. Yes. Yeah, so I, I mentioned to you before, there was this band called not important. That was my first band. It was kind of yes. more of a like punk band. I was listening to like Pearl jam and Nirvana and like incubus at the time. And oh. all my, all my band members were listening to like blink one and two, like <laughs> pop punk, you know? So there was, Again, that struggle of just like me not being into the same music at all, but there's no other band available, so I got to be in that band. Wow. I never, I, I never recorded with that band, but the next band after that was the first band I, I ever recorded with, and it was they were called Les Enfants Terribles. The name was taken from a Metal Gear Solid thing, which was taken from a famous French thing. Right, yeah. Yeah, and that was one of the members of Not Important, myself and some other local musicians, and uh, it was like incredibly it was the opposite of not important it was like super experimental we had like a oh wow uh, we had we had an accordion player we had keyboards <laughs> it, was, it was just te- teenagers just trying to make the weirdest stuff we possibly could and any banjo we, uh no the banjo never made it in yeah. but there was there was some weird instruments um the the guy who played keyboard in the band he did go on to make uh banjos out of other implements like uh you know in ireland we have a sport called hurling i don't know if you have you yes. ever seen that this the sticks it's like super dangerous yeah um, <laughs> he, 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 he he has since i believe made a guitar out of um uh, hurling which is pretty cool but um wow. that that band um uh what was i gonna say yeah it was just it was like super super experimental and um Oh, I think I had some interesting point, but I may have forgotten it. Sorry, it'll no. come to me again. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it pops up, just just blurt it out because that's that's right. what we do here. So I did listen to "We Come in Pieces," which I thought was really cool. Definitely, I I hear the the Fugazi influence in that band. Yeah, that was definitely there. Yeah, that that band was closer, I guess, in, in influence for myself and the guys who were with it. But there was still that tug of war of like those guys were into again, kind of just straight up punk stuff, I guess. And I I was into at the time a lot of math rock like Hella and uh, Terramelos and stuff like that, you know. And I wanted wow. I wanted everything to be chopped up and the weirdest time signature possible. And that was clash, clashing with the guys who wanted really hooky choruses and four four rhythms and stuff like that. So that band is kind of like a result of that strug- creative struggle, I guess, the way that band sounds. Um, but yeah, it, we had some good moments, I think. And the best thing about that band was it was the first time I got to tour, and we toured Ireland a bunch and went to Europe and the UK. And um, for all the head 
annoyance. I was going to say trauma, but I'm trying to not use that word recently when it actually isn't traumatic, but I guess stress is the word. Uh, yeah. um, just just <laughs> violent stress, um, what you call it. <laughs> Uh, it was still very, it was still a very formative experience, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. We just didn't know a lot of people in our area who were doing stuff like that. It, it was kind of rare in Ireland to, to do stuff like that. Then there's OST, original soundtrack. Was that happening at the same time as, as we come in pieces? And was that just you to start with? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was my, like, like my sneak away from everyone and do what I actually wanted to do projects. You know, that was, uh, that was just me in my bedroom deal, like working through my depression on tape <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it, um, that was again, a, a bit of a reaction to being in that band. You know, I needed a different outlet where I could really just get a bit more creative fulfillment, I guess, and learn the ropes of how to record and how to write songs and um, express myself in a, in a different way. And so OST was was the quote unquote solo project, I guess, around that time. Yeah. Okay. So where you're at in Ireland at this time, are there a lot of places to to play for, for bands, or do you have to travel in order to be heard? We we had one uh, local venue. We, had to, we you know we, there's a couple, and it changed a lot over the years. There was one solid venue called Baker Place, and the cool thing about that venue is over the years we would get some really freaking cool bands there that oh, would yeah. be just doing DIY tours. I guess we would get a lot of math rock bands from Japan, you know, and oh, that wow. was so it was so cool because nothing happened in that town. Like we had nothing. Like we know there's not <laughs> a lot. Of, not a lot of rock and roll culture really yeah, around that time, but we would get bands like um, Light from Japan and Toll came through there. Wow. And um, T- Terra Melos came once. That was a lot, a lot later, but uh, they came once. And um, uh, I, I always forget names of things when I'm asked, but there were so many cool, uh, like, Tube Lord uh, enemies, like that kind of uh, math rock experimental noise rocky bands. We were lucky enough that for some reason, a lot of them would put Limerick on their day. I guess the thing is, if you're, if you come to the UK to tour, it's only a ferry ride to Ireland and you might as well play some, sh- if you're going to play one show there, you might as well play three. And uh, yeah. some people, some people would put, um, put us on the, on the bill, I guess. And uh, yeah, so we had that little, the little venue that, you know, um, allowed us to play shows a lot, but yeah, we would have to, go to Dublin and other places. We take shows wherever we can get them, tiny little Irish pubs in small towns. Um, and eventually, yeah, we, you know, going to the UK, there's a much more, there's much more infrastructure for rock and punk there. So we were able to play more, a lot more venues over there, but, um, yeah, all very DIY bearing the brunt of the cost and losing money every time, yeah. but, <laughs> but, but really enjoying ourselves, you know? <laughs> oh, well, see, that's the important part, but yeah, we mentioned this on uh, take one, but you went, you had gone to art school right. and that's what really gave you the taste for New York city, right? Yeah. So you, you came over on a trip and that New York kind of got its hooks into you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I always had a bit of an obsession with New York to begin with. Like I was really into like um, some of the music from the, the no wave scene and um, bands oh, yeah. like Sonic Youth, Sonic Youth and Swans and stuff like that. And um, I guess in movies, I didn't really realize it was New York at the time, but so much of the stuff I loved was set in that city. And 
yeah, I remember there was a trip to, in the first year of college to, to go to New York and um, it was like, it was so expensive. I couldn't afford it, but you know, I begged like my parents to put in a little bit. I begged my brother to put in a little bit. I found, I worked, I, I probably worked like a job for two weeks leading up to it just to like get the money together. <laughs> and we, we just went for 10 days um, to see our, to see art galleries in Chelsea and to, um, we, we were at the Chelsea hostel, not to be confused with the Chelsea hotel. Right. And um, we were all in bunk beds and it was, um, it was just like, a totally formative experience um the atmosphere of the city just like hit me like a fucking ton of bricks and you know i was like uh, i gotta yeah after i leave school i'm gonna try and move there you know and i hope i can live the rest of my life there and or at least make the switch there um so that was like a long-term mission for me which actually came true after you left art school you you made the move yeah, yeah. Then I took took advantage of the recent graduate visa that we have access to over in Ireland. We're lucky enough to have access to, I guess, because of Ireland has pretty good relations with um, New York. Yeah. And uh, then I hopped around on artist visas for a while. And um, uh, there's a pretty crazy story around the lawyer that got me and a couple of my friends our artist visas. Oh, really? Um, that involves the FBI and what? someone. <laughs> And someone jumping off the top of a building. What? Um, if you want to hear that, I can tell you that. But it's, uh, yeah, I just, I don't want to, it's it's kind of crazy. And a little bit, might be a little bit of a downer, but I'll, I can tell you. We can you always want. bring the show back up. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> As long right, as we right, don't right. end on this story, we're good. Let me make sure, wait, let me make sure I'm still recording. <laughs> yeah, the software yeah. hasn't crashed again. We're good. We're good. Cool, cool. Uh, this, the thing is, it's actually not that much of a downer. It's just, it's so surreal and wacky and New York that like, okay, we uh, use this, I'm not going to give the guy's name because for the sake of his family, but yeah. we use this immigration lawyer that a lot of Irish students were using at the time, uh, or post, post uh, uh, recent graduates. And, uh, you know, he was referred to us by uh, someone else. Uh, he's based here in the city. My friend uh, Steve, who I used to play music with over here, he is someone who got, he had been here for a few years and um, on a trip home, he got stopped at uh, immigration. They took his passport and he ended up on a no fly list for five years. Um, I'm not not 100% sure of why that happened, but part of that story is the lawyer we used. uh, One day we got got, um, an email from a, a, some sort of company who deals with the fallout of these things saying right. that he was, he was being investigated uh, by the FBI for fraudulent, for forging ID identification, I think, and for making fake uh, signing off on papers himself for other people. Oh, wow. So this guy, I remember being at his office, like, you know, there was, you know, people in the waiting room waiting to go through for the same thing I was doing. So he was seeing multiple people a day, you know, quite a big business for this kind of thing. Yeah. And a uh, really nice guy, you know, really nice guy. But um, then I looked up the, the news around his name and I saw that um, he was being investigated by the FBI. Um, and he was, I think he was, had already been, charges had been pressed and he was due to go to jail or appear in court or something like that. And then if, about a week later, uh, his obituary turns up. The oh. guy, there was so much pressure, there was so much pressure, the dude went up to the top of his building and jumped off it and passed oh. away. Um, so this is, this is about two years after we, after I had my second artist visa. So I was in the clear, everything had passed already. You know, I didn't know if I, some people, everyone who was in process at that time with their visas, yeah. uh, where they were sent off to uh, the government to have them checked or whatever, they all got screwed. They, you know, they, whatever money, whatever money they spent, um, uh, was null and they're, I don't know, a lot of them had to go back home. Uh, so it was, it, wow. it really sucked, sucked for them and sucked for that guy's family. I'm sure. But it was just that feeling of like, 
like that can only happen here. Like you, you, you get a crooked immigration lawyer who gets investigated by the FBI and then he commits suicide in broad daylight. Like it was just so surreally New York that, um, yes. I was just like, I was just like, I feel so lucky to be here by the skin of my teeth, almost like, you wow. know, could have gone so much worse. And I don't know if that's connected to my friend Steve's issue at the immigration or not, but, um, yeah, um, we basically, there's basically like, uh, he had files on all of us and this company had reached out to us to, to give us our documents back basically. And the guy was like, well, you seem okay. I, I you, you seem like your case is fine. You shouldn't be hearing anything more. And I was just like, holy shit. Like, wow. this, oh this, is a, this is after living here for about six years and like knowing that my friend got stuck here, I was like, is the life I've established here going to disappear all of a sudden, you know, but uh, oh my God, yeah. that's gotta be it sounds like you have just kind of lived in a world of stress from Stab City until New York. Dude, emphasis on the anxiety part of the name of your podcast. Um, <laughs> it, it, it is really only in the last few years. Um, sorry, I'm just filling up some water. Here. No worries, man. My mouth is dry. It is really only in the last four, five years that my mental health has gotten to a good place. Like, uh, it was very much like, coming here with little to no money and not much of a, a plan uh, in terms of like living like a normal person um, <laughs> was super stressful. And I was, uh, you know, there's a family history of depression in my, uh, in my family and um, like, uh, and in Ireland was, in general, I think. In our, yeah, man, it's just the Irish way. And my, yeah. my mom is a great woman, but she's a, unfortunately is a prime example of what some of the issues of Ireland at that time can do to a person and uh um yeah just like uh you know new york is a hard place to move to and uh, especially when it's like not you know when it's a different country and all that but um i'm so glad i did it you know and i'm um, so glad i'm here and there's a lot more stability in my life now and that allows you to create better like when you were when you were there's that romantic idea of like the tortured artist is complete bullshit. You can make anything when you're, when you're worrying about everything else, you know? Yeah. It's, it's really, it, it does hamper the art, you know? Yeah. And it, in one sense it can help maybe with ideation, but actual yeah. completion of the art and a, an actual creation. I don't think it, it helps at all. <laughs> at least yeah, not in my case. Yeah, I think it can be a good therapeutic outlet and you get these little dribs and drabs of projects that get done and stuff and it's it's helpful. Maybe you can get you to the next thing, but um as far as consistency and as right. you're saying ex execution, it's just not it's not possible. It's not yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Let's talk some music here. You came over uh so OST since it was you kind of came over with you and uh, you ended up having to change the name to C Cinemartyr because, yep. <laughs> because of, of genre issues. Yeah. Very banal issue. But <laughs> I finally, I was getting with the modern world and starting to upload uh, our catalog to um, Spotify and Spotify just wouldn't take OST because it's a prefix, I guess for soundtracks. And um, I was like, fuck, I either stay off Spotify or I, change and, and all the other digital distributors besides Bandcamp or I changed the name and uh yeah there was quite the struggle to find the the right name but we uh we could live with Cinemartyr <laughs> and it's still it still had the the film oriented uh theme to it you right. know for for me like movies uh are 
like a very therapeutic thing and uh, that always is part of the core theme i guess and uh yeah so here we are with that name who knows, who knows if it's any good <laughs> <laughs> well like, like like i said before you know i it, that's a recurring theme on this podcast and of the podcast because i'm always second guessing performance anxiety as a name for my podcast because i get emails from people trying to get therapists on the show and right. that's, that's not really what what i do but maybe uh, not not until not until uh we figure out that you know that setup where it's like musicians getting help on your show exactly and then Two weeks later, you're on Oprah Winfrey's right. show, like about how you revolutionized the <laughs> landscape, you know. And, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not a selfish person, Shane. It's we. We came up with that we, idea yeah, together. Right. So you're, right. you're, cool. you're knee deep in this with me. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I went back and I was listening to the OST slash Cinemartyr material, the whole discography. And what really sticks out to me and I find fascinating is that almost none of the albums sound similar to another in fact the only two the, the two that have the closest connection for me are uh invisible ink for sketching ghosts which is a great title by the way i love that and dreams during hibernation invisible ink starts off with tokyo trust fund which to me sounds like it came from the band hum mm. I, I love hum Because we do not know when we will die, we get to think of life as an inexhaustible well. And yet everything happens only a certain number of times, and a very small number, really. How many more times will you remember a certain afternoon of your childhood, an afternoon that is so deeply a part of your being that you can't even conceive of your life without it? But it also morphs into some soundtracks sounding stuff with Portuguese rosé, ambient in night loop and the song all of this can be fixed which is a fascinating track to me because it's a little different from most of the stuff and it has a hint of what's to come in the very last two cinemartyr albums to me that i can see or hear maybe more of a connection to what you're doing now with that song more than any others right right i think that song as well was probably last to be recorded so i was you know, like when you start recording a record, you kind of warm up as you go. And by the time you're recording the last song, you almost want to go back with the vigor you have now to just fix some things at the, at the end. But that song was probably recorded where, because I'm learning to record at that point and learning to produce and do song structure and stuff. That song was probably recorded at my most confidence. So it makes sense that that would kind of point towards the future a little bit more, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I listened to those two, and then I ended up listening to, obviously, the next one in line, which is Uncaused. That's a complete shift in sound to a more indie rock type of sound. Again, the opener is awesome. Social, I love that. Escape Velocity. The songs are great, but it's a complete shift in sound. It, was there a reason behind the shift? 
Yeah, I I think for one, I just wanted to make a more robust sound, um, something fuller, something bigger. And uh, I was trying to push myself as much as possible at that time. I think a lot of influences at that time for me were a little more folky indie. And um, it, I was, it's probably the atmosphere of New York at that time as well that was bleeding into it a bit more. Um, I think maybe I had a vision for the band, a future live band that could play this stuff and okay. might look like that, I think. But I think... Also, I think a lot of these records are like a cataloging of me feeling my way through the territory of creating music um, and, and learning as I went. So uh, it's kind of like when you go in a direction, but you, you know, you, you know, you want to, you know, you're where you want to go. Um, and the only way you get there is by taking so many turns that you find out what doesn't work and what does work. And eventually the arrow starts getting straighter and straighter towards where you want to go. So I think that's okay. kind of what was happen happening there. Con like conceptually and all that, I think I was just dealing with a lot of themes. That was probably like the lowest point for me in New York. That was uh, just dealing with a lot of mental health issues. And I think that again, it was just a therapy, it, you know, I don't know if it's cool or, or whatever to say that, but it was a therapeutic outlet, you know, for me, just um, that record, um, like the song Social, it's just like, uh, not to get too literal, and I don't like prescribing meaning to songs or anything like that. I think it should be for everyone, but I guess like some, some of the themes were around like, uh, you know, social anxiety and um, okay. trying to be a musician, but like also being a recluse in your bedroom who's just working on music 24 seven. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, so, um, so that's a good question. That it was, is this still basically a solo project at this point? Or are you having other people play with you? Yeah. Yeah. It's still, it's still a solo project. Um, I always like solo projects that sound like full bands, you know, and um, that was, that was the idea with that. Um, because at that time I'm still playing in other local New York bands. Um, okay. and that's always my like getaway project that I can really, uh, express myself with, I guess. The Cinemarter OST has always has, and still is uh, a solo project, uh, more or less, but, um, in recent years with the, the band members I have now, um, and with that turn we made towards some more aggressive music, um, for me, it's, uh, you know, I write the music and I record, record it and perform most of it, maybe aside from the drums, but um, then I present the music to the band and they have a certain amount of freedom when we're playing live. Like I want them to do their interpretation of it. I don't want to be a dictator, dictator to the point of it's their hard guns or it's boring for them or whatever. Yeah. It's, the idea is we are collaborating as a live unit and everyone's bringing their experience and their um, unique flair on the instrument to the songs that are already there. So that that's had an evolution in the beginning. OST slash Cinemarker was just like, I'm making this music. It's never going to be played live. If I can play it live, that's great. But it's, it, um, it definitely evolved over time. Yeah. Okay. So, so even with the, the new band in the studio, you're more of the dictator, but live it's more democratic. Yeah. Live. There is a, there's a skeleton that we put the meat on. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah. Going back to the older stuff before we hit the new albums, there's another change because after the like the indie sound, you go total experimental noise ambient with Suffer New York Love, which that's a wild album. That is another huge shift in, in sound.
Right. So is was that another stop on the way, or I mean, was that did you purposefully say I want, the next album is going to be more experimental, ambient, or was it just organic? I think you're you're awakening memories in my head now. Um, I think <laughs> I. <laughs> you know, as much as I hate to say it, I think um, Uncaused, the record before that, the more indie record, I think I actually, I was hoping for a lot more from that in terms of reach. Like I was hoping that was going to break some ground a little more, I think. Yeah. And I put so much time and effort and energy and like I, I too much of my own self-worth into it, I think. I mean, which is an amazing learning experience. You learn how to appropriately uh, <laughs> live with your art, you know, but at the time I, uh, I think it was struggling a bit and I was hoping that a bit more would come from that record, you know, and I'm so happy with it creatively, but like I was hoping that I could establish more of a footprint with it on, on yeah. the musical landscape, I guess. And that didn't happen at all. And uh, I think <laughs> that next that next record was um, was more of a, a reaction against that. It was um, doing something completely without worry about you know where it would go, where it would end up, um, and it was music for music's sake. That much more, I guess. And uh, yeah, again, you know, I, I'm just stating fact. I, I have no interest in creating a sob story or anything. But like, my mental health was not good at that time. And uh, again, when you're hampered by things like that, you know, you're not you're not ready to you're not you're not really as interested in creating traditional song structures uh you know right. working with other musicians you know it's a much more insular uh, intimate affair when you're when you're in that headspace so i think that's the that's the result of that uh for sure okay and like i said i was went back and listened to that i, I love temper i think that's that's oh. a really cool track to me it, it it's reminiscent. It's like if you smashed Adrian Ballou and Robert Fripp in together <laughs> into one person, that cool. would, they would have that person would have written temper. So maybe that's you. Maybe you're Ballou <laughs> smooshed together. together back in the 70s and here i am and it's shane so again things change with death of the first person and i try to do as much research as i can on these shows and so you said that uh previous cinemartyr output dealt with the more morose and contemplative side of mental health and the new album is an intentional step away from that towards a more expressive loud and physical chant or scream Hmm. That is an amazing change. What caused that shift? I mean, was it something like I'm tired of feeling sad? I'm tired of this yeah. where I'm at. Let's let's just make a, a change. I think that's part of it. I think you know, part of the therapeutic process is depression often leads to anger, and that's kind of a healthy trajectory because depression and anxiety is helplessness. Anger is, has a bit more energy to it. You're pissed off about the situation you're in. Mm-hmm. And if that sucks, it's, you don't want to be there forever, but it is a, a dot on the road along the way where you actually have some energy for once and you can put that energy into something. That's a good also, point. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think as well, like for me, I was playing in um, other bands all, all the time. I've been in like two bands. I just can't remember how many bands I've been in. But <laughs> again, it was that, you know, I had two things happened. Playing the type of music I was playing in OST up until that point is not interesting to me to play live. There's no physicality to it. It's very quiet. It's um, you go on stage and you present the songs. My favorite bands throw themselves around stage the the body is part of the act i love seeing visceral live bands and i i have had that a little bit with some of the bands i've been in but it was never it was never hitting where i thought i could hit and i instead of being in so many bands and trying to bring my influence to it i was just like i am going to create the ideal band I have in my head and not stop asking for permission and just do it basically. And that's where the the swift turn towards something more uh, visceral came from. I think I wanted to get a bunch of people together. We were going to play loud as hell music and I was finally going to be in a band that I actually wanted to be in. That's no shade on the bands that I have been in, but there's, I don't know, like, you know, you're as creative people, you know, we're sensitive and stuff and we don't always like to put our foot down a lot and, you know, we want to work with others, but, I guess this this was the point where I was like, I'm making the project I want to make. <laughs> right, right. Because yeah. if you if you're not making the music that you want to make, at some point you're gonna depending on your person. You. Yeah, you, you're gonna yeah. make this. All right, I've had enough of compromise. This is this is I want to do this. It's it's not working out the way I'm doing it. So let's let me do yep. it the way I want to do it. And yep. my note on this is that this is when shit gets insane. <laughs> because it sounds like, I mean, it doesn't even sound like this, this band came from the same planet. Right. Um, it's, it sounds your guitar playing. It goes crazy. Um, it's like Tom Morello joined King Crimson or, and then gave birth to skunk Anansi or something. It's, <laughs> it's just insane. Are the people that are in the band now, are were they part of this at that time? Did, yeah, around that time, I had been in a, a kind of a mathy, poppy band with the drummer um, a few years previous, and we were the bassist in that band was the guy Steve who got stuck in Ireland. So the oh. band kind of, yeah, the band kind of died <laughs> wow. shortly afterwards. Yeah, but a few years later, when I was looking for a drummer, uh, Dave was around, and um, so Dave was there, and I was like, "Yes, okay, we got a drummer for this." And uh, then he was—I'm uh, sure they won't mind me saying this—but he was dating a girl named Amber at the time, and she played guitar and she sang and she had been in a band experience that had almost made her want to quit music a few wow. years previous to that. It was just such a horrible environment to be in for her. So she was taking a break from music and she was starting to get that hunger to want to play again. And he was like, Oh, we should try out this girl I'm seeing. And I was like, that's a terrible idea. You know, like you, <laughs> should, you, should, you shouldn't date your band members. And she came into practice with her guitar. And I think she had learned a couple of songs. And uh, after two seconds, I was like, she has to be in the band. Like wow. she is just this amazing untapped talent, you know, like, um, I can do certain things with my voice that are aggressive and somewhat atonal and fit the sort of a certain mode of expression. Um, but I'm, I'm not a singer. And, uh, Amber was that missing piece of like, she just has this incredible voice and almost perfect pitch. I guess it's perfect really. Um, and, uh, that allowed me to, when I wrote, uh, that album, uh, that we're just talking about, um, death of the first person, I, I knew I wanted to have another vocalist who could sing on that record. And this was before the band. I had my wife, Corinne, actually, she's a great singer. She's not oh, a musician. Cool. She's the one who recorded those vocals on that first album. Oh, so, okay. yeah. So, so, uh, Amber was coming in to make that life basically. 
and then the album after that, Amber recorded her vocals finally. So yeah, oh, okay. and it was Aaron part of this as well. And, and then and then Amber brought in Aaron because she was friends with him, who also, as I understand it, was also in a band situation that was not too good. And um, with some, yeah, just uh, I don't want to speak for him, but there was uh, some not so good stuff uh, going on in that band in terms of like relations between the bands. It was just very fraught, and uh, there was a lot of anger, I think, and you know, he was looking for something different and we all gelled and, um, it kind of came together really quick once, once that happened. And, uh, I think we were all, the thing we had in common is we all wanted to be in a band that didn't have drama, that was somewhat professional, <laughs> that people could talk to each other, you know, you could be real with people and, you know, people would show up on time and all that kind of stuff. So that, we were pr pretty relieved to find each other. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like everybody was in the right spot at the right time mentally. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And to make music that's basically a tornado. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's just, it's, it's wild. I mean, so I listened to Opt Out a little bit and then I decided I'm going to stop. So I listened to like the first two or three songs. And I'm, I'm going to go back and I want to listen to this chronologically, which, right. whoa, like when CGI came on, I'm like, it was like the record scratch. And like, is, right. Did did my player just switch to something else? Because it it's quite a startling change. From yeah. from the, the ambient noise to CGI, which it was just, it's, it, I guess startling is, is, is the word. You also have a song there called Stab City. I mean, was it, were you feeling homesick or something? Uh, yeah, I just, I had to put them on the map, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, for me, like, you know, we all have heroes and stuff, but like someone like Michael Jira, like, uh, you know, I, I encountered your podcast through your interview with Norm, Norman Westberg. And that was yeah. such an incredible interview. I love that. Oh, um, thank you and so much. That band, you know, um, like his, he gave, he, you know, inadvertently gave me permission to not, you know, to just change a lot as from record to record. Yeah. Um, and in a way it's almost an, an inversion of Swans, I guess they started out with some really light stuff and then became this, uh, industrial dirge. Eventually, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there was something in, in looking at Swans career, there was something in there. The, the theme of not asking permission was just very powerful to me. And I think some of it maybe was also just getting a little bit uh, better mental health wise as time went on. And, uh, yeah, just that, um, I, there was, uh, just, I, I, I can't, I don't know if I can express it eloquently, but there was just something in me that had to come out and, uh, and stop, stop 
beating around the bush. You know? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And I, yeah. I love run from terror and keeps getting up. Those are my two favorites off of that. Oh, that album. Cool. Those are great. things just get wilder so between the last two albums you had some other some some single material coming out like uh, lazaretto oh right yeah yeah crazy <laughs> scissors uh the shushu cover yeah, yeah. and then then a, a kick-ass cover of swan's new mind all those done just as single releases intentionally as single releases i guess yeah um we so between death of the first person and, and the most recent album opt out we were um just playing live a lot and the band was gelling and okay. we were finding our identity that way and as we got towards opt out i was writing more music and i knew amber would be able to record on that one because she had fully joined the band um around the time we were i was thinking of covers as well i i wanted to just salute uh bands in in my i guess i don't want to say scene because i'm not part of the scene but just uh, that i meant a lot to me right. um, so that was the impetus to to also release some of those uh, alongside that record as well okay. and then also you you just learn a lot from from doing cover cover work you know i i wish i could remember who it was i had some it may have been alan epley who said oh. that his he recommends everybody start off in a cover band because by playing somebody else's songs, you actually learn how to construct a song. It's so hard. Like <laughs> I, I, I can write the weirdest time signature thing with like uh, internet dial up tone on the guitar. And like, I can play it really easy. You know, like that comes naturally to me. I don't have to think about that, but we, we just started doing a live cover of negative creep by Nirvana. Oh wow. And that song is just two parts repeated over and over again, uh, the verse and the chorus. Yeah. And it is so hard for me to play. I, I, I have to pay attention. I have to pay <laughs> so much more attention to do something that is that sparse. And that, that I'm not trying to, um, gloat at like how good I am at doing something technical. It's just that you oh, learn two different things so, completely it's two different things. And you learn so much about restraint. It's so, it's so great. I always hated doing covers growing up. Um, just there was something about learning other material, but it's such an education. It's such a like a great education uh, for, for a musician. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that person, even though I wouldn't do it, but I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not be a cover band, maybe just learn a few to start with learning. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So opt out is such a wild album. I was listening to it. So uh, the first thing I want to say is that I, in the music, I definitely hear 
a swan's influence not only in the music but also in the artwork you know there's it's, mm. i definitely see how Girard has touched you in a musical sense we'll make that clear yeah i don't want to get in trouble <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be okay with it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like like the artwork on on opt out it looks like much like the cover new mind i mean it it's, looks like a, mm. a children of god era influence of swans yeah, and I, yeah. I I love that kind of stuff. I love seeing how a band can influence not just the music, but the visual aspect of another band. Yeah, yeah. Like, I have no uh, illusions about it. Like, I'm sure, I don't think Michael Giro would like our band. Like, we're essentially a noisy punk band. <laughs> but but the influence, like, again, talking about, like, um, restraint and the starkness, like, what they would do in those early records of just one riff, hammered to death that's just cacophonous and large and and a sledgehammer over the head you know i i am more of the add generation where i need uh more going on i guess but the 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 aesthetic of swans is so is very important to this band for sure um not it's not it's not so much it's not so direct in that we want to sound like them or anything but it you know it, it eventually filters into it and yeah with the visuals too i guess that that's a for me it's a further delve into not asking permission again like and um refine like because uh you know yourself from doing everything you know i do the the artwork and the shooting and edit editing of the music videos too and at, the more you work at your craft the more you distill what it is you know and yeah. you, you you get you find your um identity and you refine it and you make it sharp sharp as you can and um yeah i, I guess the the artwork on that album as well it it touches on some spiritual ideas, but it also has that cold mechanical uh, thing going on as well. Yeah, it does. It's, it's a really fascinating piece. I, I, I really enjoyed the, uh, when I saw it, I was like, okay, now this is, this is drawing me in even before I've heard anything. Mm -hmm. So, I, so the, I, it's very successful in, in that regard. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I was listening to it and I stopped. So I, I came back and the album starts off noisy, cool. I like it. And I'm enjoying it. And then suddenly no legacy kicks in and I'm just drawn it. That song is amazing. I, I love it. It's powerful. With this, is that are you the, the tyrant again, the dictator? Are you is that everything? Are you doing the lyrics, the the music, and everything on that one? Uh, on yeah, this? the process for that is basic. Well, it's basically I, you know, I write the write the song. I write the music of the song basically, and then I I, I am again. I love saying how awful of a singer I am, but I'm an awful <laughs> singer. But I know exactly what I want the vocals to sound like. So I wrote the I write the lyrics, and then. Uh, or I write the melody and then the lyrics and then I go to Amber and I, I what I would do is record these videos of me humming what the lyrics what the melody would be okay and uh, give her the lyrics and I would ask her to 
put her flair on that framework. So the the melody is set more or less, and the the hook is there, the, the scaffolding is there. But I want her to bring her personality to it and her ability to belt and soar with her voice. So uh, there's a bit more of a collaboration in that sense. Um, but one thing I got to say, too, is that the, the drummer who plays on that record is a collaborator friend of mine named uh, Luke Folger, who's based in New York. And he's just uh, one of these musicians who I met a long time ago. And we just have this instant chem- chemistry to the point that I can just say i need this this and this for the song and we go into a studio and record those drums i take those back to my my bedroom and then put build the album on top of it oh wow uh, D- death of the first person i played bass on but this album i another friend of mine ben who is just this stupidly good bassist he is just <laughs> vicious he, he reminds me of the bassist from mars volta a little bit one oh wow um, he has that he has that like 30 second note, 16 note ability with his fingers. Um, he contributed bass to half of, about half of the songs on Opt Out as well. So it, it got a little bit more collaborative in that sense. Yeah. And yeah. one of the things that I love is Amber's vocals, which, you know, since this is really the first recorded thing that she's on, yeah. it's, she's like a female Serge Tankian. It's just yeah. <laughs> amazing what she does. She would, she would love that comparison. <laughs> it's a powerful, powerful album. Art form is another track that I'm really, I'm really loving. The, I love her vocals and and the, the cacophony of sound behind her in the, especially in the choruses. It's I, that's just a, such a cool song. like I've ever encountered and like to play live with her is just so sweet because um you know it's you're just you know when you're in a band uh you can kind of you know if you're the guitarist you get to hide behind distortion and the loudness of the other members and everyone hides behind each other and it's safe you know you have that out if you fuck up it's just like no matter even if Amber's having a bad show with her voice or anything like if she has a sore throat or something she still just sounds fucking incredible and to have that on stage all the time is just like yeah, I'm so lucky, you know, it's, yeah. um, it's so great. And I, it's great on record, but like she, she just murders it live. I just, I constantly just see people in the audience kind of like, Oh wow. You know, eyes <laughs> wide open. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's a real, she's like a real talent. And when I first met her, I was just like, to me, it was such a shame that she didn't have just like a huge discography already out in the world. Cause she's, she deserves to have so many records and people eyes on her i think you know yeah i i agree i mean like uh everything dysmorphia that her vocals on that are beautiful and and that like the way the song ends with that the chiming guitar that you have and her Mm. beautiful vocals that's one Mm. of my favorites
one thing I always want to do is to juxtapose a horrible, noisy, atonal dirge with with just melodic beauty. You know, that's kind of a back and forth thing that kind of is a motif, I guess, for us sometimes. And then she straddles both of those lines just with effortlessly, you know, and yeah. it's, well, yeah, I feel very grateful. Well, what I like is that the two of you do it together and it works so well with, with your insane guitar sounds and then her beautiful vocals and then when she wants to get aggressive i mean the two of yeah. you just the two of you <laughs> weave in and out of each other's ranges it's just amazing right. it's, it works so well together it's like you've been playing together for for years thank, thank you dude yeah um yeah i feel very grateful and lucky to to have that other jigsaw piece in the band and we that's the thing you know we i don't know when when this lineup got together it's probably been about four years but obviously with the break of covid or whatever but the thing is we we hadn't been playing together for you know 10 years previous before we met but all of the experience we had separately in bands together helped us gel so quickly in this band you know yeah i mean it's and it's definitely apparent but earlier you mentioned that you don't like to enforce your interpretations on songs on the listeners but i wanted to ask you there has to be a theme to opt out because the album title opt out and then there's <laughs> song titles like cancellation policy dead influencer which is an insane track that, that i love that song conditions delete yourself myth of the masses i mean there's definitely something behind this mm, yeah, yeah do you want are, are you open to letting me know what, you, what the thought process was behind this yeah you know i again like yeah i do i do um you know my favorite records like and i'm sure it's same for you you know you have your meaning for them and that's what makes it special you know like when i listen to a pearl jam song i like you know it's associated with a certain memory at a certain time um but having said that yeah there's it's it's basically a concept album i guess i mean um a lot of it is uh i guess the album it's so hard to talk about some of these things um <laughs> in this day and age, in this day and age but a lot of the album celebrates nuance and the gray area not black and white thinking okay. um it's a pushback against uh, oh man cultural. we fr uh, we froze there damn it Oh, <laughs> so it froze on. It's a pushback against. Oh, cool, cool. So um, that's the mystery. I'm never telling. No, oh, there kidding. we go. Uh, so, uh, um, yeah, sorry. It's a it's a pushback uh, against uh, black and white thinking. I guess it celebrates uh, nuance and gray areas and uh, civil communication. Civil communication is not the right word. Um, discourse, I guess, maybe. Uh, d discourse that is that is in good faith and that is that is honest and that is less about uh being part of a cult a or cult b i guess mm. it's I, I know i know i know already that's going to put 
some people are going to hear that and be like, uh, but yeah. Well, I know. I think I understand what you're saying because with the rise and proliferation of social media, you don't get open discourse anymore. You've, you've got people on one side or another who've already made their decisions who are just clashing. You don't get people open to other ideas. Yeah. It's, um, we live in a clickbait culture essentially. And that's, that's invaded every aspect of life i mean and yeah i mean again to kind of bring it back like uh growing up you know like um you know we america was an exotic place for us you know it was a far off land of like possibility creative possibility i'm not talking about like money or anything i'm just like so much great art came from new york you know and like uh america is so beautiful geographically you know, and, and people, you know, in general, people are really warm. And growing up, we we loved it. You know, we hated George Bush. You know, like in two thousand and one or whatever, we were <laughs> like, "Fuck that guy." And it was an e- it was an easy target to hate. But um, now the landscape is just full of mini targets, and there's the hate has become everyone is living in such a depressive bubble, either against you know against their own will or without even knowing it or or voluntarily. And there is still so much beauty in the world. Yeah. There's still so much beauty in America. You know, um, when people say they, they hate a country, you really should be saying, I hate the elements of government that are doing bad things. Like you don't hate, you don't hate 420 million people or whatever the population is here. You know, we have this kind of like, uh, we have this blanket speak for, for life. And it doesn't just, it doesn't gel with real, real lived experience when you actually talk to people. And, um, I guess opt out is like, you know, I mean, yeah, you can take it at face value. Like, you know, I, I'm very one of my fears is, is cult mentality. You know, like I've, I've seen, I've lost friends to, um, real cults, you know, uh, oh. like explicit cults. And I've, I've seen people over the years fall into more benign cults, you know, like, uh, everyone has that friend from high school who's in a pyramid scheme yeah. and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, you know, thinks they're, you know, every week they're, or they have a new identity every week where they're like, now is how I'm going to be famous. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm <laughs> like, you don't, can you can think for yourself a little bit you know and you can opt out of those things that uh just just the crowd mentality basically of of, because you know before you know it you're 90 and you look back and you're like well the world has been ending since i've been 20 and i've just sat here being in fear and complaining about it my entire life you know there is still a life to be lived outside of all this stuff you know so exactly and that's a that's a controversial thought these days and some people are not going to like that but i love it i love the album i mean it's impossible to describe the album. I mean, the energy in it is tangible, which is very difficult to achieve on, on, on a recorded piece of work. I mean, it's, it's an album that you really experience instead of just casually listening to. There's no casual listening to opt out. It's amazing. And Cinemarter is not ambient soundtrack music anymore, but <laughs> you do end it with a quiet, a quieter song, and, and which seems to be on every album, it ends mm. on a softer, quieter note. Right? Yeah. There's, uh, there. I guess some of the, there's that filmic uh, movie uh, theme or concept. I guess with with the records, it, uh, you know, like some of them feel like soundtracks. I guess some of the earlier stuff, and I, I like the idea of a narrative that runs through a piece and. Um, I think after you've been assaulted enough by these this these stabbing guitars, <laughs> it's it's always nice to um, have a bit of time to reflect on what just happened. I guess. Okay. And I, I I also just I I ascribe the whole creative process to like, you know, say you, you can't 
you, you're not a great swimmer and someone trolls you into the deep end. That's when you first start making records. You're splashing around. You're trying to figure out how to tread water. Then you, in the middle part of that, you figure out how to tread water, but now you're bored and you want to try swimming. So the creative process, you're constantly refining that, that, you know, I'm, I'm still learning how I want to incorporate ambient, not just ambient, but the more free flowing experimental, not pre premeditated side of music creation in with the very considered premeditated side of noodling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a, ba it's a balancing thing, but, but, you know, uh, I, I, I know the album is dead and all that, uh, depending on who you ask, but, um, I still just love my favorite part of creating the album. Once the music is done, it's sequencing them. Oh yeah. And deciding which tracks go where and naming them. I have a document on my phone that is about 1000 uh, at the moment. It's above 1000 possible song titles. So for me, I, I, I usually I hardly ever name them when I'm working on them. Uh, then when the album is done, and I'm, I have to get those final masters back. My favorite thing to do is to sit back and go through the thousand possible song titles. This song feels like that. And I work it down to 30 possible song titles and then distill oh, it into wow. the final 10 song titles. It's my favorite part of the creative process. That's amazing. But, um, I love that. Uh, you know, I'll just be walking around and uh, some, you know, I'll be angry about something and a, 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 a phrase will come to my mind. And then I'm like, that's it. That goes in the song title file, you know. So. Oh, that is so cool. I like that. There's, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them I can use that I would love to use um, <laughs> that are just so, so horrendous. Oh, you, no. you, you would never be able to promote them. And there's <laughs> some that... There's some that are just way too niche, so um, you, you got to strike that balance too. But yeah, what is the best way for people to listen to the album, to to buy it, and support you, and to check out where you're going to be playing on this tour? Uh, so for the tour, um, yeah, just uh, go to I guess our Instagram is always the best place for um, staying up to date with us, and some, there will be some micro adjustments to the tour, maybe a venue change, change for one or two. Of them. The venues, uh, but if you go to cinemartyr.tumblr.com, that's C I N E M A R T Y R, cinemartyr.tumblr.com, that's where we have all of the dates at the moment, and um, it will take you to a link for the Facebook event, and a lot of those have ticket links on them. So if you want to see if we're in your state, you can just go to any one of those and um, or just go to cinemartyr.tumblr.com. As for music, you know, we're on Spotify and Bandcamp and all that, but most importantly, if you want the best in cutting edge absurdist memes follow us on instagram because the story that we the stories we keep on there are um the high point of uh, a lot of our followers uh that's the reason they follow us i'm, con I'm convinced at the moment oh awesome yes I, cur I, I curate a very tight ship on those on the stories <laughs> <laughs> is that just at cinemartyr uh, yeah and it's at cine.martyr so c-i-n-e dot martyr m-a-r-t-y-r I love the album. When we connected, I really wasn't sure what to expect. And then I heard, like I said, the first couple of tracks and I was just like, wow, this is, and that's what made me go back and want to start from the beginning and work my way through to the, the newest stuff. And it was journey for sure. And a really oh. wild one. And I'm glad I took it. So thank you so much for the work you've been doing. Thank you for, for, coming on the podcast and doing this episode with me and uh i appreciate it so much dude um people like you make our lives so much easier not in the sense that um not, not in the promotional sense but um the fact that you keep the discourse alive around 
you know, sometimes challenging music, sometimes obscure music, uh, and everything in between. Um, and we really appreciate that. It's always just so good to talk to someone who uh, gets uh, music in the scene. And um, um, I just really appreciate it. And thanks for thanks for um, having me on. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.